Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Everybody and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 7, Episode 13, where we heard from Juror Tory. And in this episode, we got a lot of insight about what happened in Susan Claycomb's trial, how it affected Jamie's trial, and, I don't know, what I consider to be kind of some dirty tricks pulled by the state. And that's kind of putting it lightly as, as far as what they did to Susan Claycomb, but also the way they used the jurors in order to try to secure a conviction against Jamie. So let's go ahead and get started with all the questions. I'm joined today, as always, by Mike. Hello. And Zach. Hello. And Zach, I'm sure some of you noticed, if you didn't go look at our new logo, we finally made a new Friday follow-up logo that included Zach. After six months, we decided to finally keep him. Yeah, I'm happy to be part of this. Great. So let's go ahead and get started, Mike. All right. Sounds good to me, Bob. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, our first question comes from listener Karen. This episode sounded like another chapter in the playbook for how to make a murderer. I can understand how people would be reluctant to talk. Susan had nothing in her background and they still ruined her life. How do we use her information to free Jamie? This is all so frustrating. I don't know. One thing that I want to do coming up here in the near future, I have several more things I want to cover about Jamie's case. And I know that we have already discovered some new information. A lot of the stuff we heard from Tammy Snow was new that uh, the, the attorneys weren't aware of. And we've had some other tips come in that are new. So as all that stuff starts to play out, I'm going to have Tara Thompson, if she's willing, I'm sure she is, to come on the show and talk to us about where the case is at right now and where it's going from here. But, I mean, I 100% agree. It's It's frustrating to the point of rage almost for me. To hear, you know, the the case is about Bill and it's about Jamie, and I, I guess Susan just was kind of a a footnote in the story. And when you really dig into what happened to her, it's it's really really upsetting. I mean, what did you, I guess before we move on to any more questions? I mean, what did you guys think? I and mean, Zach, we'll start with you about Susan's trial and the tactics pulled by the state. 
Oh, the tactics are super suspicious. I mean, I can't believe that that was something that went on. Being able to use that first trial as almost just a test run Mm -hmm. for Jamie. I mean, that's exactly what it feels like at this point. I I think it's said in the episode, but like Susan was never even, it never mattered if they got the conviction on Susan. It was strictly to put the evidence out there to see what people would do. And it reminds me of the Netflix show Staircase. Really? Now, he did it on his own with the defense where they brought in a mock jury. Right. And presented their defense evidence Mm -hmm. and then questioned them. Right. But that was... That wasn't a real trial. That was just a mock jury that he brought in. Right. And that's not entirely uncommon for people with money. Yes. You know, to to bring in a mock jury and test out how things are going to be received. I really thought you being a West Memphis three case enthusiast, that's where you're going with it, because that's what it reminded me of the most. Well, yeah, that too, where they brought in Jesse Miss Kelly first. Right. To get that conviction, you know, and to hope to use that against the other two. Right. You know, and in that second trial, they didn't use his testimony because he didn't want to testify against them. Right. But you know that information was still out there. Yeah. Well, we discovered when we were doing the season five of the podcast that in the jurors' notes, they listed Jesse Miskelly's confession. Yeah. And I think even everybody knew that, that that they were discussing it. Right. Yeah. They had to have been because there was no evidence. Absolutely. But I, I don't think that the Susan's trial, I think it's, it's twofold. One, it was a practice run for sure. Mm-hmm. But I really think them trying her first was it was – she was a pawn, like like obviously it was you know, a metaphor that was maybe overused in the episode, but she was absolutely a pawn in the fact that I think that not only was it a practice run, but I think the major goal was to get enough leverage on her to get her to testify against Jamie, because I don't think they thought they had enough for a conviction. In fact, there's actually a memo that's really redacted, and I'm 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 kind of having a hard time deciphering it, but mm-hmm. I, I just came across it yesterday studying for this week's episode. And um, it's a memo written by Detective Katz back in like 93 or 94 where he's saying like, we don't have enough. We can't have blinders on for these other leads. There's not enough. I think they even knew then there wasn't enough. But then, of course, Katz moves on to get a bunch of jailhouse snitches and things like that. But I don't think they ever thought they were going to trial. Okay. I don't think they ever thought they were going to have to charge Susan. I Mm -hmm. think this was a a, a series of them bluffing and Susan calling their bluff where, in my opinion, it seems like when when she was nervous and scared, the day that they hauled in Tammy and Susan into jail, they thought, okay, there's our target. All we have to do is make her believe that we're going to charge her with murder if she doesn't tell us a story, and she'll tell us a story. So they do that, and they threaten charges against her, and then they start telling, listen, if you know, the classic lie told by police often is, you know, if you, know, we, you help us, we can help you. You know, you need to help yourself at this point, and you need to tell us, tell us what happened, tell us about you being the driver or whatever she needed to say and that'll save you from murder charges. Otherwise we're going to charge you with murder. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, that's the West Memphis three. That's what they would Jesse miss Kelly Mm -hmm. is they wanted him to help them. And then he ended up basically saying that he was part of it. And then the same thing with Brendan Dassey and Stephen Avery. Exactly. Right. They were just trying to get somebody to say what they want him to say. Right. And and they didn't matter to them. Mm-hmm. And so I think they were they were telling her that if you tell us what we need to know, we can help you. She doesn't. So now they're like, well, shit, we already said we were going to charge her with murder. I think they already had her on the ropes. They already knew that she was at least susceptible to being frightened by them, which most people are. Mm-hmm. It's far more common for someone to react the way Susan did than it is for someone to react the way that Tammy did, which was to say, you know, piss off. Mm-hmm. Tammy had had other interactions with the police from Jamie's other incidents. So I, she knew the, the kind of games they played. And so she wasn't affected by that as much. 
But so then when she doesn't give them what they want, they follow through and charge her with murder. And I think that at that point it was, okay, well, fine, we're going to charge her with murder. So she's facing an indictment. She's facing a trial. That will be enough. Now she knows we're serious. And so they charge her. I think they thought that at that point she'll give them what they want, and she didn't. And then it happened again. So now they're, okay, well, they go forward. They get their indictment. As everybody says, you can indict a ham sandwich. Mm -hmm. She gets indicted. They start moving to trial. Then the plea bargaining starts. So now it's much more official. Now they're now they're telling her, according to Susan, they told her that uh, they'll drop her charge from murder to obstruction of justice with a sentence of only probation if she would testify against Jamie. And she refused that as well. And it, it, this whole thing just keeps snowballing. You know, they're they're just trying to do anything. And, and her, you know, and they had a great piece of leverage on her and the fact that she was pregnant. Mm -hmm. You know, she she's pregnant. She's about to have a baby. Do you want to have this baby in jail? Do you want to be around to raise your baby? There's so much more options that they had on the table to use as leverage. And she still stood her ground. And so the, I think they ended up taking her to trial. By the time they got there, it was, well, we've got to go through with it. Now, we've already put in the press that she's an accomplice. She's going to be charged. She's been arrested. So we'll try her. They knew. They had to know. They had nothing on her at all. But then I think they decide, well, two things. One, we're going to use this as a practice run. We're going to pre present some evidence to a jury and see how they, they handle it before we take it into Jamie's trial. And then hopefully if we get a conviction against her, then she, and, and she has a sentence, say she gets convicted and sentenced to life. Now these aren't hypotheticals anymore. We can tell her you have two choices, go to prison for the rest of your life or take this deal mm -hmm. and testify into Jamie. Fortunately, that didn't happen and she, she was acquitted and got out. My biggest thought, though, is when they bring that juror back in and they brought other jurors back in to question them. That's the one where – I mean, it, this whole thing is suspicious, but that's where it gets really questionable to me. Like, that's just crazy. Right. And and there's another juror that I've been speaking to. The the individual doesn't want to come on the podcast, but he's been really helpful and forthcoming with with information. And he thought maybe she was wrong because he said, no, they brought them in as a group. But that's why I think that – I, I wonder if they talked to all of them because he said he thought it was about half the jury. When he was there, there was like six of them that went in. And he said it was, it was absolutely, it was clearly a witch hunt against Jamie. All they cared about was how do we adjust our strategy to get Jamie Snow? And we know, look at what Tori said. The, she told them the only thing that really stuck in her head was the eyewitness testimony, but it was conflicted. Mm -hmm. You know, so you had, you had Martinez. It was stronger, but he was only 85% sure. They kind of conflicted with other evidence. So then they come into Jamie's trial. Now he's 100% sure. And then some of that other evidence tended to change as well. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overplayed by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Richard says, do you really think that they had Susan's trial first in order to pressure her or to turn on Jamie if she was convicted? To me, they had to know that they couldn't convict her on what they had, which I'm guessing is very slim. So what was the purpose? I think they were actually trying Jamie. Could this be considered double jeopardy? No, I mean, you're not wrong, Richard, but in the fact that the whole trial was really about Jamie and it was kind of a practice run for Jamie, but you know, there's no there's no kind of legal statute that says that cuz you know, they did that cuz because officially, technically Jamie wasn't on trial at that other trial. They were they were they were trying Susan, but that's as far as why they tried her first, again, coming back to the using that as leverage in order to get Susan to testify against Jamie, you know, that it's only, it makes sense. Think about it if it's the other way around. Say they have a strong case against Jamie. They try Jamie, they convict Jamie. Now they go after the accomplice. I mean, that's what to me logically makes the most sense. Now say, and this person helped him and your whole, you already have a conviction over here. You know, so you can already say this person was, was convicted of this crime. And this is the person that we think helped them. That makes more sense instead of because they, tried her first they did have they couldn't just say just only present evidence against her because they did have to prove two elements then they had to prove that jamie snow was responsible for the murder before they could prove that she assisted him so the only reason i think that they could have they did that logically well there's two and that's what we said one was a practice Mm -hmm. two was to try to get some leverage on her to get her to testify against jamie just like they did with Jesse Miss Kelly. Yeah, and I think with them dropping the charges the way they did, even the the plea they did, they knew she didn't have anything to do with it. You're going to plea out to obstruction of justice on a murder trial if you really believe right. someone you know had anything to do with it. That drove someone there to kill someone. Yeah. And then drove them back and then didn't tell anyone. And you're going to allow them to plea out to obstruction of justice. And probation. Yeah. Imagine, you're a good point, because imagine being Bill's parents. So your, mm-hmm. your son's murdered and... The state is saying this woman drove the killer there. He commits the murder. She drives him back and then hides that fact from you for all these years to where you could find out who actually killed your son and get some justice for it. And her punishment for that is probation. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's no way. I don't, I, to be honest with you, I don't think look, the more and more I look into the evidence and see the tricks that they pulled, I don't think they even thought Jamie did it. I don't I don't think like they weren't sure. I think they knew that he had nothing to do with it. And you know, as far as somebody had asked why target him, I think this, I think they didn't like him. They had other history with him and they wanted to close the case. Like I think that week. was a big thing is is they wanted to close that case. They had pressure to close that case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but I don't think in any way, shape, or form, you know, as I've always said, if you take if you put a microscope on the state's case, which is what I do when we're screening these cases, we take it. I, I, I always ask people when they submit a case, what I want to know is, what is the strength of the prosecution's case? Don't tell me what your defense is. Tell me the strength of their case. And those are the details that I hone in on. And if, if you zero in on the state's case and put a microscope on it, it should, if they have the right guy with time, technology, attention to detail, that case should appear to be stronger the closer you look at it. When I start putting a microscope on, on the state's case and immediately it starts to fall apart and it gets weaker and weaker and weaker, to me, that's a huge red flag that they most likely got the wrong person. And when you see things like them 
manipulating testimony. Just look at Martinez alone. Mm-hmm. You know why? Why are they? Why are they getting Bill's mom to call him to convince him to testify? Why is his story changed? Why are they talking to him twelve times over the course of a year to get him to finally make an ID? Why do they have him go to one trial and he says he's eighty five percent sure, and then the next trial and he's a hundred percent sure? Why would they need to do that if they knew they had the right guy? You know that, that that's that's extremely suspicious, and and that's that's an example of what I'm talking about. So if somebody says, if I said in Jamie's case, which I did, what's the strength of the state's case? One of their strongest points were they had a 100% sure eyewitness identification of Jamie at the scene that night. That sounds very strong. That's a great newspaper headline. Mm-hmm. But all you have to do is dig into it just a little bit and find out, like, okay, well he did, okay, but won't. Well, Okay, he also testified at Susan's trial. And you go back to there and like, oh, well, there he said 85% sure. And then you find out when, well, okay, so he made the ID in the state's attorney's office based on a photo of an in-person lineup. Well, let's go back to that in-person lineup. Okay, well, Jamie was in that lineup a week or two or a few weeks after the murder, and he failed to identify him. He didn't give him a second look. He did a photo, you know, so you, you start and you watch the state's case just crumble away. Unfortunately, unless anybody does what we do, other podcasts and TV shows and documentaries and things like that, most people only see the finished product, which is what got presented at trial. All right. This next one's from Pat. If the results of Susan's trial prove she did not drive Jamie to the gas station, how did the prosecution allege Jamie traveled to the Clark station during his trial? You know, it's interesting because I've been researching this heavily this week, you know, working on this week's episode, but I, I get off in these rabbit holes. And Susan did testify at Jamie's trial, but nothing about her driving him to the crime scene. And from talking to Tammy, it sounds like they just didn't address it. They just they just didn't address how he got there. Mm-hmm. The, their case rested on a whole bunch of people saying he confessed mm-hmm. and then eyewitness identification from uh, Danny Martinez and Carlos Luna, which that's this week's episode is going to be about Carlos Luna's eyewitness identification. Which, not that I want to say this, but I mean that's a smart move by the prosecution. Is just right. if if it's not there, don't bring it up, and right. just hope the defense doesn't bring it up. It's it's like the the literal method of just throwing shit against the wall and seeing what sticks. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, well, we don't have what. And actually, I think I'm going to read some of the closing arguments. I wish they weren't so long, or I wish I had audio of it because you guys don't want to listen to me read. But Tina Griffin's closing arguments essentially says, well, sure, there's not one strong piece of evidence. And some evidence seems to conflict with other evidence. But if you look at all these little pieces of evidence, it equals Jamie Snow's guilty. I mean, that's her closing fucking argument. Hmm. It's, it's, it's basically saying, sure, we don't have a case. If you put a microscope on any piece of evidence, it falls apart. Of course it does. But if you don't, at one point, and it's the part I want to read, it, it it actually says, not in these words, if you don't look real closely at our evidence, <laughs> then it makes sense. You know, it, 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 and she's talking, it's, it's crazy. It's bananas mm-hmm. when you read it. She's talking about like, sure, if you compare his testimony to his testimony, you could focus on the fact that, say, Martinez and, and Luna, she's talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if you look at Martinez's testimony, and you look at Luna's testimony, sure, you could focus on the fact that Luna says he saw the guy walking out, but he didn't see Martinez. You could focus on the fact that he 
didn't see Martinez's car even in the parking lot. You could focus on those things. You could focus on the fact that that Luna says he's wearing a trench coat down to his ankles, and Martinez says he's wearing a waist-length spring coat. Sure, you could focus on that. But instead, I want you to focus on the fact that they both saw a guy walk out of the store and walk the same direction, and that's corroborating. I'm reading it like, what? Like, that, that's it's just... <laughs> Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain yeah. is essentially Tina Griffin's entire closing argument. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Christy says, how did the local press and media cover Susan's trial? Were they falling for the prosecution's claims? I know that in theory, news media is supposed to be unbiased and stick to the facts, but we all know how that works in reality. From what I've seen from any of the newspaper articles written back then, I I wouldn't even say bias. The thing is, well, I'll just say it. Jamie's defense attorney was terrible. And uh, I'm going to get into a little bit more of that this week, how terrible he was. But so the state's case for someone that's just trying to get headlines, right? It looked strong from day to day. The prosecution puts on, say in a day, five witnesses that all say Jamie confessed. So the headlines are five witnesses testify that Jamie Snow confessed to this crime. And an eyewitness, you know, they're not digging into what was said before. Mm-hmm. You, you guys heard Martinez's testimony last week. Pitzel didn't even get into his previous, the fact that he said 85% a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't get into any of that stuff. And, and that may have been a motion in limine, it's called, where they're not allowed to talk about the other trial. So maybe they couldn't. But there were so many different ways that he could have cross-examined him, and he didn't. So I think that the newspaper, I wouldn't say bias. I think they were just reporting the basics of what they were seeing. And that's and keep in mind, I mean, the jury convicted too. So they they were buying it too. So I don't think it had to be any any bias. But if they just reported what was happening from day to day, it was a bunch of people saying he confessed, and somebody said he saw him there 100%. Yeah, I think everybody has to keep in mind, we're looking at this with hindsight, and we were able to dig into stuff where there weren't at that point. They were only seeing what was being presented to them. Brian says, with Susan's trial happening first, I'm sure it was covered by the local news, both on TV and in the paper. Did that force them to get jury members from a different town other than Bloomington for Jamie's trial? I would find it hard to believe that anyone living in a small town at that point wouldn't have had information about the case and evidence they had against Susan. So I checked into that this morning. Because I didn't recall seeing anything about a change of venue, and the answer is no, they did not change the venue. The The case was tried in McLean County right there with a local jury pool, which is surprising because of the, especially because of Susan's trial beforehand, you know, so it wasn't just like any press coverage of the investigation. There was massive press coverage for Susan Claycomb's trial just a couple months before Jamie's, 
and still they used a, a local jury pool. Now, isn't there a question during Vordier where they ask you if you maybe not know anything, but they ask you if it will sway your decision or whether you can be open if you do know something? Yeah. So there's a lot of things during Vordier where they, um, do you know any of the parties involved? Do you know any of the police officers involved? Mm-hmm. Do you have any experience with a murder? Have you been a juror before? And then if you say yes to any of those, then they'll ask, yeah, would this sway your decision? And so supposedly they got an unbiased jury. All right. Karina says, were they able to use Susan's non-conviction in Jamie's trial? She says, I don't recall hearing much about Jamie's defense attorneys, and it seems to me he needed someone like Susan's lawyer. No, they weren't. Um, And that, again, was, was, I'm assuming it's from a motion in limine. But I, I know from reading Griffin's closing arguments, she mentions Susan and she mentions one of Jamie's friends, Mark McGowan, who was never try or never charged with any of this, but was sort of presented as another accomplice. And she says, you know, it doesn't matter if these two were ever tried before or they're going to be tried in the future or what results there may have been. None of that matters because that's not the issue at hand. It's Jamie Snow that's on trial. Again, why she's trying to explain away kind of her lack of evidence. So it, it was pretty clear that and from, I think from what what Tammy told me, Susan was not allowed to mention her trial, but she got it in. And it was something that I'm sure the judge you know, told the jury to disregard. But it sounds like when she was on the stand at some point, she said something about the fact that I was acquitted for this. I didn't have it. You know, this already happened, which she wasn't allowed to say. But, you know, the, the whole thing of strike it from the record and uh, disregard. It doesn't mean squat. Because they heard it. Right. You can't unhear things. And and it's all because, and I get it, you can't have it all the time, but trying to save money. Mm -hmm. Because in a perfect world, what happens, if somebody says something in front of the jury that the jury wasn't supposed to hear, that should be a mistrial. Mm -hmm. It should, nope, start over. Because they're not going to disregard it. They can't disregard it. But they never do. And and it happens so much. And And because of that, attorneys, both defense attorneys and prosecution, do this all the time. And it's fun to to read sometimes, watching a defense attorney sneak something in he's not supposed to. For example, a polygraph. You know, oftentimes we'll see an attorney be like, well, but isn't it true that my client passed a polygraph test about this? And they'll be like, object, object, you can't say that's inadmissible. And and the judge will say, strike that from the record and jury, you're instructed to disregard what he just said. But he did it for a reason. Yeah, It wasn't a mistake. It's because he's smart and he knows that once a jury hears that, they're going to have in the back, even if they don't talk about it, they're going to have in the back of their mind, wait, this guy passed a polygraph, you know, whatever that means to them. But it happens all the time. So the other thing that I was thinking about, too, is in these instances of juries, you have to understand that these people are believing that the law enforcement is right. You know, right. we always want to believe that the police officer is doing the right thing. The judge is doing the right thing, that, that they're in the right, you know, and that they've picked this individual for a reason. And a lot of times we don't know that that's not, you know. In this case, that's not the right person. Right. But we, as society, want to believe that the police officer is doing the right thing, is telling the right thing. We are told to trust these people. Right. Well, we naturally do believe that. Because, yeah, because we're, we're trained to trust them. Yeah. They're, they're the good guys. And so I think even going into a jury being as objective as possible, it's still in the back of your mind that they arrested him for a reason. Yep. There's a pretty good reason they arrested him. He got indicted. He's probably guilty, is what a lot of people think. Sue says this question is only tangentially related to episode 13. I've been thinking about tactics used by police and lawyers, as well as behaviors and decisions of judges. It's hard to know whom to trust. 
So my question is, which, if any, of the following law slash courtroom shows I watch on TV is the truest to life? She lists SVU Special Victims Unit, Bull, Rise, Bluff City Law, and Blue Bloods. So I've, I've watched um, Law & Order Special Victims Unit. I haven't. I've, I think I've seen an episode or two of Bull, which is where he's like, uh, I, I think he does like those mock jury, helps with jury selection and reading people. So I, I guess I can't speak to those particularly, but I can say that most TV gets it wrong. Right? Yeah, I haven't seen any of those. None of them. Do you watch any any crime shows at all? No, I watch crime documentaries, but right, which are true to life. I, I've to watched life. a lot of them. You know, I guess I guess the best way that I could answer this is to say that I've never seen a scripted TV series like those that are accurate. You'll oftentimes see the lawyers testifying. You know, they're like, "Isn't it true that you did this and this? You killed them, didn't you?" There's all these things that make for really dramatic TV. Can't happen. Attorneys can't testify. They can only ask questions. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of questions they can't ask. There's a lot of things that can't be done. There's so many rules that it would make boring TV. So most TV is not accurate. All right. Our last question comes from Sandy. Could the back and forth movements of Martinez actually be him running into a second perp and then the perp getting into his car? Martinez could have driven the perp to his own house. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, we already have the fact that Pilo didn't see him running into anyone or coming close to anyone, which makes it, in my opinion, impossible for him to have done that. I think that he probably did see somebody walking along the front of the gas station, which is what he originally said happened, which is a, probably 50 feet away or more. But the idea of him running into somebody, that person getting into his car and driving away from him, remember the reason Pilo didn't see the perp, in my opinion, walking out the door is because he was focused on Martinez so I, I and his car, getting the license plate. So I don't think that it's possible for him to have run into somebody, that person get into his car and drive away, and Pilo not see that. And we have the Luna boys, too, which say, you know, they never saw Martinez. Right. And they say they saw the suspect walk across the front of the store. Saw him come out and walk across the store. So you'd think that they would have seen him get into a car. They never mentioned him getting into a car. Right. All right, that's going to do it for questions this week. All right. Uh, before we wrap things up, just to give you guys a heads up, there's been a lot of chatter on all of our social media about our new project that we mentioned a couple of weeks ago. So we have landed on a title. And forgive me, I will say it later because I cannot remember the name of the listener that suggested it. Do you remember, Zach? I don't, but you know who you are. Right. You know who you are. And we will we will make sure we give you credit for this when I look back up and see who it was. But the title of the new project is going to be called, drum roll. Bob and Weave, yep. Uh, which uh, somebody I think said kind of jokingly, but it's a great title because I'm Bob and he's the Weave, mm-hmm. and also it's kind of a double entendre because the whole idea is that we're we're talking about controversial issues and kind of trying to bob and weave through them without being too controversial and trying to present both sides of things. So love the title. That's what we decided to go with, and we are actually today going to take a stab at recording our first episode. It'll probably be two weeks before we drop it. That's what I think we're looking at, about two weeks before we drop. But I'm really excited to get this project rolling. I am too. And and I'll, I'll give you a little hint. Our first topic, uh, we're going to try to you know get our toes wet with something that is in the news right now. It's controversial, but it's also true crime related mm-hmm. um, for our first topic that we're going to cover. Um, but so keep your eyes posted on social media. We'll give you guys some... 
announcements next week and the follow-up as far as what the plan is and when it's officially going to drop. This podcast is going to be a little different than this one in the fact that there's going to be two ways to consume that media. We're going to have the normal podcast just like usual, but the the Bob and Weave show is also going to have a YouTube channel where all of our, our episodes will be posted on YouTube so you can either watch or listen. All that's coming very, very soon. And hopefully you guys will all check it out when we drop it, probably, as we said, in, well, from today, the day this drops, about a week and a half. Yep. All right. Can't wait to hear that. And that's going to do it for this week's follow-up. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Mike Bussing is our executive producer, and all music for the show is created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our Friday Follow-Up logo was created by Amanda Meyer with Willow Photo and Design. And all of our font across all of our logos and banners was created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. I want to thank Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Natalie Alicia, Pamela Westby, Pam Maples, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a 5-star rating and review, and lastly, you can always support the show by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website. Just click on the Case Submissions button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigation. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. And for all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter. The show's handle is at truthjusticepod, and my personal Twitter handle is at bobruftruth. And you can also connect with Mike at mbussing89. For more personal interactions, feel free to follow me on Instagram at truthjusticepod. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. We have since added said light, and uh, the, the the cameras look look less pixely, so I think yeah. we're going to get a clearer image. Now, when I'm looking at my monitor right now, it looks like my face is glowing white. Right, right. The, the lights are too bright. Shut the up. <laughs> <laughs> That's my personal observation. No, Pretty I think bright. They're, they're, you guys can't. <laughs> it was some brilliant work on my part because they can't even see. They can't even see the lights up there. They're out of camera shot. If you notice, we have five cameras. I just reached for my chapstick and it's not here.
You think you guys got some chapstick? But I I keep going. I I have a chapstick addiction. It's bad. I have a problem, and I'm dying. It's right a now. weird addiction to have. It is Carmex, man. I have to have Carmex, or I'm just I'm in trouble. Say goodbye to the dish and hello to Sky Stream, the new way to get Sky over Wi-Fi. So you can get unmissable Sky shows like The Last of Us and Succession, as well as Netflix and Discovery Plus, and loads more, all in one subscription for £26 a month. Oh, and next day delivery with no upfront fee. Skystream. TV simplified. Head to sky.com. Requires Skystream and broadband minimum speed 10 megabits per second. 18 month minimum term. Cut off times apply for next day delivery. Excludes bank holiday. 18 plus terms apply. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 